Hello and welcome to the Sport Shorts Podcast. I'm your host, Brady McKenna. Sport Shorts is brought to you by the Sport Management Program at North Dakota State University and supported by the Department of Health, Nutrition, and Exercise Sciences and the Office of Teaching and Learning. This episode will feature the implementation of technology within sports, in which I will talk about a variety of different technologies used within different sports. Technology in sports has seen some very key advancements within just the past few decades, but the technology from years ago is the reason why we have these new advancements. When we think about technology, we normally think of something that is electronic, but technology is far more complex than that. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, technology is a manner of accomplishing a task, especially using technical processes, methods, or knowledge. So, in reality, we could say that paper and a pencil are technically technology. When we use a pencil to write on paper, our task is to create something. The pencil, then, is the process that we are using to complete our task. Throughout sports, we have seen even advancements in clothing to make the athletes even cooler. But, for the sake of this podcast, I am going to focus on the electronic advancements, such as goal line technology in European football, replays in American football, robotic umpires in baseball, as well as the newest implementation of the pitch clock in Major League Baseball. So, let's talk a bit about goal line technology in European football. Goal line technology was actually first introduced back in 2006. The International Football Association Board, or IFAB, was the first to test the goal line technology in non-competitive matches. IFAB is also responsible for reviewing the laws of association football. Therefore, they are the only ones that can allow goal line technology to be used. But... In March 2008, the IFAB made the decision that no technology could be used in European football. But, after a missed goal call in the FIFA World Cup round of 16 match between England and Germany in 2010, FIFA President Sepp Blatter made the decision to look deeper into the use of goal line technology. After nine months of rigorous testing, in July 2012, Goal line technology was officially allowed to be used during matches. Goal line technology uses technology that allows the officials to see if a ball crossed the goal line or not. The goal line technology system is a system that is compiled of 14 different high-speed cameras that are located throughout the football stadium. Some of those cameras are placed up in the catwalk within the stadium or just under the roof. The system that the 14 cameras report to will have to present those different angles within one second. Within that one second, the referee will be told whether the ball crossed the line or not. When watching any European football game, you may actually notice that the officials on the field have a headphone placed in their ear. The goal line technology system actually doesn't relay the decision via the official's headphone. If we take a closer look at what the officials are wearing in total, we will see that they have a watch on their wrists. That is where they will see if they should count it as a goal. The goal line technology system will actually send this decision to the official's watch within one second. But 
You may be wondering how they create that 3D animation that's shown on the screens throughout the stadium. Remember the 14 different cameras I talked about? They need 14 different cameras so that they are able to create the best 3D animation. All 14 cameras relay their view to the goal line technology system, which then is able to create the proper 3D image. But it wasn't until the 2014 World Cup that the technology was used to make the first World Cup goal decision. It was actually a game between France and Honduras. It was a goal that was a little confusing to some people, including the broadcaster, and even both of the team's coaches. The replay that was shown on the video board at the stadium showed two different events. The first event was when the ball hit off the side post and bounced out. This was event was ruled as a no goal. But the actual goal came mere seconds later when the ball bounced off Honduras goalkeeper and crossed the line into the goal. Since then, the goal line technology has been enhanced to make a clearer decision for the people who are in attendance at the game. So now let's transition from European football to American football. While European football's form of a replay was the goal line technology, American football had its own type of replays. Now the first thought of using replays to review certain plays came from Art McNally in 1976. He decided to see how much of a delay replays would have on a game. He actually went to a game between the Dallas Cowboys and Buffalo Bills with only a stopwatch and a video camera. Whenever there was any question about a play, he decided to take a look at it in which he asked different camera technicians to give him different angles of the play. It actually wasn't until a missed call made during a play involving O.J. Simpson that he knew that the implementation of replays could really be beneficial to football. But the first time we saw the replay wasn't until 1978 during the Hall of Fame game between the Philadelphia Eagles and Miami Dolphins. One of the biggest problems that the first replays had was its astounding cost that it took to install them in stadiums. Now the replay systems needed even more cameras to see different angles, which is not cheap. Since the league realized how costly it was going to be to put that many cameras in all of the stadiums, they decided to push the replays off until the mid-1980s. It wasn't until 1985 when the NFL decided to put the replay system back to the test. Now the replay system was tested throughout eight different preseason games to make sure that the results were what the league wanted. One of the most important things that they were looking for was the time it took to make the correct call. They quickly realized that they were going to be able to review the replays up in the press box and quickly relay the answer back to the referees that were on the field. But there are still regulations as to what they could be replayed and challenged. At the beginning of the replay system's career, plays that could be replayed include plays of possessions, such as fumbles, interceptions, receptions, muffs, or whether a play was in or out of bounds, or if he crossed the goal line or not, or anything that was easily detectable, such as too many men on the field. Now, in order to get the correct ruling to the officials, they originally used walkie-talkies, but 
The NFL quickly realized after a game between the Kansas City Chiefs and Oakland Raiders in 1986 that they needed to find something different than those walkie-talkies. The play in question was a ruled touchdown by the officials. Up in the replay booth, Jack Reeder determined that in fact was not a touchdown. He grabbed his walkie-talkie and told the official, John Keck, that the pass was incomplete. But the problem arose when Keck thought that he said the pass was complete. The NFL quickly had to find a new way to talk to the officials from the booth down onto the field, and they did just that with pagers and radio headsets. But as technology advanced, officials were able to review plays with the simple touch of a tablet screen that was brought to them on the field. It wasn't until the 2014 season that the replays were taken at the Art McNally Game Day Central, which is in the league's New York headquarters. There were people within the headquarters that would get as many of the best angles ready and sent to the appropriate official before the official even got to the booth to review the play. Once the official arrived at the booth, they would have all the proper angles that they needed and would quickly make the right call. But then again, in the 2017 season, the league decided to once again make a change to the replay system. The change took the decision away from the official and allowed a specific member within the New York headquarters to make the final decision. As technology continues to advance, we start to see the officials of the game start to lose their ability to make the right decision. We are just starting to see this happen in Major League Baseball, for example. But first, let's look back on something that happened on this day in history. Actually, on August 24th, 1919, Ray Caldwell of the Cleveland Indians was struck by lightning during the last out of the game. He would actually gain consciousness after being knocked down by the strike and actually would retire the last out of the inning, ending the game. Now, let's talk about some new technology that is being considered at the professional level of baseball. Robotic umpires. The first robotic umpire technology was used in the independent Atlantic League during its All-Star Game in July of 2019. The technology was just a computer that was able to call balls and strikes. Seems simple enough, right? Well, the computer used a system called TrackMan, which was part of the Automated Balls and Strikes System, or ABSS. Now, when we see strike zones that an umpire has, it varies on the size of the batter. Now, TrackMan is actually able to adjust to every batter's size as well as their stance to adjust the strike zone. This means that if there is a batter who is six foot seven, he won't have the same strike zone as someone who is five foot seven. TrackMan is actually placed above home plate by the press box. It is a box that uses 3D radar technology to analyze each pitch that is being thrown. While TrackMan is actually being used in two different ways at the AAA minor league level. Half of the stadiums will use the technology to call all of the balls and strikes, while the other half will actually use it as a challenge system. Now that challenge system will allow teams to challenge a call that the umpire has actually made. But, how exactly does this new technology work? Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So, once a pitch is thrown, 
TrackMan will identify whether the pitch is either a ball or strike, pending on its location. Then, it will record the call and relay it down to the umpire. Well, at first, the umpires were experimenting using headphones like Apple AirPods, but quickly encountered issues with low battery life before the game was even over. They were trying to use AirPods so that they could maintain that wireless connection that everybody wants. But, since they couldn't maintain wireless connection, they had to go to the next best option. They had the umpire wear an earpiece that had a wire that connected to the iPhone that was in the umpire's belt. This allows the umpire to not have to worry about any battery life. Now, the iPhone that is in the umpire's belt is connected directly to TrackMan's data, which allows the proper call to be transmitted between the system and the umpire. So, to keep things simple, the umpire will hear a call in a male voice, ball, or strike. The umpire will then make the physical call behind the plate. Now, one of the first questions that was brought up was actually about how much of an impact the system would have on the length of a game. As we all know, Major League Baseball has long games, over three hours at points. Well, TrackMan's 3D technology is actually able to make the call almost instantaneously. Once the ball crosses the plate and is able to be recorded by TrackMan, the umpire receives the correct call. Now, this doesn't mean that an umpire can just sit behind the plate and not do any work to make the right call. Any new technology is prone to having some issues. The umpire still has to pay attention and make any calls that are an obvious error that TrackMan may have made. Like, this could be a ball bouncing in the dirt and coming back up into the strike zone before crossing the plate. While TrackMan might accidentally say that it is a strike because it crossed the plate as a strike. But the ball bounced before the strike zone, meaning it is a ball. Now, obviously this is going to impact everyone who is involved with the baseball team, especially those players. These players that are in the minor leagues where TrackMan is currently being used are expected to perform to the best of their ability. The majority of these players' end goal is to reach the higher levels of baseball. But how does this new technology impact them that much? It's very simple, actually, because everything that the player is doing is going to matter. Every at-bat matters. Every pitch matters. Every run matters. Everything matters. So, if the strike zone starts to matter so much that a pitcher misses a strike by a millimeter... They could never get the chance to play at any higher level. Now, if a batter continues to get walks because of the pitcher missing a strike by such a small margin, they too might never get the chance to show off their hitting capabilities. Now, those people who are against the TrackMan robotic umpire strike zone argue that implementing this technology removes a large human element from the game. For many decades, the game has seen many human errors. I personally would argue within the last few years, one specific umpire by the name of Angel Hernandez was made, has made his case for being the worst umpire of all time. But we all make mistakes. Isn't that really what we all as humans do? We're never going to be correct 100% of the time. 
We are always going to make errors in every aspect of our daily lives. And the same goes for those umpires. They aren't going to make every call correct. The pitcher is throwing a ball at times upward of 100 miles per hour from only 60 feet, 6 inches away. That means that the umpire has to have almost perfect reaction time and perfect eyesight to make every call correct. You know, maybe it is time we start to trust our technology a bit more so that we can minimize the number of errors that we make. And who knows, within the next few years, umpires might not even be needed anymore. To stay along the lines of technology being used in baseball, let's talk about the pitch clock that the MLB has decided to implement this year. First, I want it to be clear what the rules are and what happens if they are broken. So, here are the rules. The pitch clock is set to 15 seconds when the bases are empty and increases to 20 seconds when there is a runner on base. The clock starts when the pitcher catches the ball from the catcher and will stop when the pitcher starts his delivery, not when he releases the ball. The batter must be in the box and ready to hit with at least 8 seconds left on the clock. Any violation that is made by the pitcher will result in an automatic ball called. Any violation that is made by the batter will result in an automatic strike called. The batter is only allowed one timeout per plate appearance. A pitcher is allowed to disengage the pitching rubber twice per batter. Any disengagement is classified by either the pitcher stepping off the rubber or attempting to pick off the runner on base. If the pitcher disengages three times, he will be credited with a balk, which allows the runner or runners to advance one base. The number of disengagements will be reset once a runner advances. This includes a stolen base, balk, wild pitch, or pass ball. So, let's talk about the main goal. The main goal of the pitch clock was to drastically cut the length of a game. The three seasons with the longest average time of a game were 2019, 2020, and 2021, in which it was 3 hours and 10 minutes. The pitch clock was first thrown into action during spring training games. The clock actually diminished the average length of a game to 2 hours and 36 minutes. Although the length of the game diminished by nearly a half hour, the regular season might be a little bit longer since there will be full commercial breaks in between innings. The new pitch clock will require pitchers to throw the ball quicker, which will hopefully result in fans experiencing more action. But this new change hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows for some people. The very first pitch clock violation of the 2023 season came from Chicago Cubs starting pitcher Marcus Stroman. It was the season opener for the Cubs as they were taking on the Milwaukee Brewers at Wrigley Field. Although the Cubs went on to win the game in just 2 hours and 21 minutes, the first pitch clock violation was the first of many to be called. Very recently, we actually saw another Cubs player, Cody Bellinger, called on a pitch clock violation. Bellinger signed with the Cubs on December 6, 2022, making this his first season with the Cubs. Bellinger was previously with the Los Angeles Dodgers before his contract ended, and it just so happened that the Cubs traveled to Los Angeles to take the Dodgers on the night that Bellinger was called for his pitch clock violation. You know, it was a surreal moment for Bellinger when he arrived at his old stadium. Fans, friends, 
old teammates were there greeting him before the game even started. Fans normally give standing ovations to players that once played for their team as they are going up to bat. Now Bellinger was regarded as a star by many of the Dodger fan base, and they were excited to see him back at the stadium. As Bellinger left his on-deck circle, fans throughout the entire stadium got up on their feet to give Bellinger a standing ovation. But the new pitch clock doesn't have any rules that say anything about a standing ovation a player may receive. So how was this going to play out? Well, unfortunately for Bellinger, the pitch clock started counting down the pitcher the second the pitcher, Noah Syndergaard, received the ball back from his catcher. The clock continued to count down, and Bellinger wasn't in the batter's box before the required eight seconds, like I stated before, and was then called for a pitch clock violation, putting him behind in the count at zero balls and one strike to start the at-bat. As home plate umpire called Bellinger for the violation, the fans in attendance let out a loud boo that echoed throughout the stadium. Now, although rules are rules and we do have to follow them, there is a point where we need to quote-unquote read the room, like the Dodgers announcer Joe Davis stated after the violation. There are certain times during a player's career that they may never get to experience again, and this might have been that instance for Bellinger. Now, I believe that the pitch clock has been good to increase the speed of the game, as well as increase the action that occurs throughout the game. But there are instances like this that the pitch clock should be avoided and ignored and the umpire should be able to make the proper call. This brings us to the end of the episode. From all of us at Sport Shorts, this is Brady McKenna. We thank you for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next time for more sports stories from the NDSU Sport Management Program.